just bringing my awareness, being mindful about whether I feel my body or not feel my body, that I can actually change how my pain is. Welcome to the Have It All podcast. I'm Elon Ferdman, and along with my brother Guy, we're Satori Prime. We've spent the last 16 years on a quest of mastery, and not just in business, all areas. Mastery of our finances, our bodies, our relationships, and most importantly, our minds. You see, while most people fantasize about their dream life, we went out and created it. And you bet we learned a few things along the way. So if you want to gain new skills and tools that will help you achieve the life of your dreams, well, you've come to the right place. So get ready to have your mind expanded. Implement what you learn here today, and you'll start living the life of your dreams instead of just, well, dreaming about it. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Have It All podcast. Elon Ferdman here having an awesome show today for you. I just interviewed a gentleman by the name of Dr. Joe Tata, and his uh, book is called Heal Your Pain Now. Hopefully, if you guys can see that on video. Um, I went through it, read the entire thing. It was really, really fascinating. So um, a lot of the beginning of the book is actually about nutrition and how to heal pain through nutrition. We actually, in this interview, I didn't want to go into that. I wanted to go into the later half of the book where he talks about the brain and how it impacts your pain. So he has this great line where he says, no brain, no pain. And we talk about all sorts of ways that you can interact with your body and pain in order to heal it. So anyone that's had acute chronic pain um, for, for a long period of time, whether in your back, your shoulder, your knee, et cetera, um, you're going to get some incredible tips in, in ways that I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain um, how to deal with pain. So we talk about things like forgiveness, affirmations, purpose, goals, all that uh, stuff around pain. And we talk about the myths around pain and how those keep pain intact. So I think you guys will have an incredible amount of information uh, dumped into your brain right now by Dr. Joe. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And I hope you learn as much as I did. And until we speak again, make it an amazing day, my friends. All right. So like I said in the intro, welcome back, guys. Have an amazing show. If you're a health nut, if you've been in pain, we got the doctor here to help you. I just, uh, like I said in the intro, I was reading his book called Heal Your Pain Now. Want to have him on the show to do a little bit of follow-up questions. And so, uh, Dr. Joe Tata, welcome to the show. Hey, Elon. It's great being here. Thanks for having me. So first, just so uh, people get a sense of who you are and why you are so passionate about what it is that you do, why don't you start by just giving people a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. So I think, you know, the first thing people want to know is, okay, what kind of doctor are you? So I am a doctor of physical therapy. So I have a clinical doctorate in physical therapy. And I've also studied functional nutrition and I've studied other um, aspects of brain neuroscience and, and what happens to the brain when you have pain and how that influences your entire experience. So really what I do is I help people cure their chronic pain 100% naturally without drug surgery or injections. So let's start by defining what chronic pain is. Yeah, that's a great place to start for people to understand that. So let's take a step actually 
before we talk about chronic pain, let's talk about acute pain. So acute pain is that pain you know very well and the pain you understand. So acute pain is when you fall and you scratch your knee and you have a cut. Acute pain is when you sprain your ankle and you tear some ligaments. Acute pain is when you fall and you fracture your arm or you fracture your leg. With acute pain, there's some type of tissue damage. So something in your body has been damaged. And your body launches a really incredible and awesome inflammatory response. And that inflammatory response, which you know is swelling and redness and tenderness and and pain actually too, is in charge of repairing that tissue. So let's say you sprain your ankle. Let's say you're you know out on the on the town. You have a high heel pair of shoes on, and you sprain I wear your ankle those all the time. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say you're playing football and you sprain your ankle, Elon. <clears throat> so your body will repair that tissue, and no matter what tissue you injure, your body will repair that within about a three month period of time. Now, if you have that little cut, that little boo boo on your knee, that's going to take about ten or twelve days. Obviously, you have a fracture or you tear a ligament like your anterior cruciate ligament in your knee. That can take upwards of, of three, four months really maximum. So that's, that's, how, that's what happens with acute pain. And that's your body's natural ability to heal. Now, once the tissue is healed, the pain goes away. And you go about your life and you're happy and you're free and you don't worry about it. Now, with acute pain, acute pain is defined as pain that persists beyond that three or four month period of time, basically. So the tissue is healed, but for some reason, your body or specifically your brain has continued to produce pain for some reason. And that's part of the puzzle. So I talk to people about this kind of pain puzzle, if you will, and help them kind of decipher what the pieces of their particular pain puzzle is and how to find really the pieces that are missing so that they can cure their their chronic pain. Yeah. So acute pain is the pain that comes after that um, healing period, the normal body's healing period, correct? That's right. It's very, of course, it's very normal to have pain. So pain, pain in any sense is about protection. Mm. Now it makes sense when you have a broken arm and they put you in a cast or they put you in a sling, you're protecting that bone and that joint so that it doesn't move and that bone can heal. What becomes very confusing, and we can talk a little bit about this today on, on the podcast, is why does pain continue if the tissue is healed? Why is that protection response still being kind of set off or that alarm response is still sounding even though the tissue is healed? So here's the first, well, I I just want to say this, that the book has a lot to do with nutrition and how that can heal your body. So for those people who want a, I mean, super comprehensive <laughs> uh, idea about nutrition and how that heals the body, I, I this is amazing. I actually just sent this to a few people um, after I read it. I don't really want to talk about that because we've had nutrition people on this show before. What I really want to focus on is kind of towards the end of the book and sprinkled in there the stuff about the neuroscience and pain, Mm -hmm. because that is just super intriguing to me. So the first thing that was like a holy shit moment, I had no idea was what you were saying that there's actually no pain receptors in the body. That's correct. And that's kind of like, yeah, that's like pain science 101. Okay. So pain science is just the study of, of what pain is. And we're learning more about pain every single day. We've learned so much about pain probably within the past about 10 years that a lot of this information is really new. Now, let's take a, a hot stove, if you will. If you 
hover your hand over a hot stove, obviously you're going to feel heat. And if you put your hand on the stove, you're going to burn yourself. And most people think that, wow, there must be some kind of pain receptor in my hands or in my body that sent that signal up to my brain. Now, in reality, there's no pain receptor. There are something called nociceptors. It's a really big, fancy word. So nociceptors are basically receptors that alert you to danger. All they do is tell your brain if there's potential danger. So if there's actual danger, the actual danger is the actual hot stove. But sometimes there could be potential danger. So maybe as you start to get close to the stove, you may not even be touching yet, but you may automatically feel that response. There are many different types of nociceptors. There are actually three. So there are, are mechanical nociceptors. So those are nociceptors that are in charge of feeling stretch or tension or tightness in muscles and joints. There are chemoreceptors, so those are in charge of feeling um, inflammation in your body, so to speak. That can be from your actual injury. It could also be from poor nutrition or diet that you kind of mentioned beforehand. And then your thoughts are the other type of receptors that you have, and your thoughts cause pain to turn on for various reasons. So the story that I loved that I thought really drove this point home was when you were talking about the distinction of, again, with, with a sprained ankle and uh, the distinction between the dancer and the mom. Do you remember that story? I do. Yeah. I talk about a couple of different, um, I, you know, I try to explain different scenarios in the book to give people an understanding because some of this can be really heady for certain yes. people. And I know your tribe is really awesome and they get things, but when you see things and when you hear something in real life, oftentimes it it makes things clear. So let's, let's talk about a scenario. So let's say, let's say you put your high heel shoes back on Elon and <laughs> you're walking down the street and you sprain your ankle. So automatically the, the ligaments are going to pull, they're going to overstretch and you're going to feel pain there and your, your ankle is going to swell. And that message is really that, okay, I can't go out tonight with the girls. I got to stay home. So there's no cocktails. There's no Cosmos. I'm not hanging out with the girls. I'm staying home because my ankle is swollen and that's, what, that's the way it is. Now, let's say you're the same person, except this time you're crossing the street, a busy New York City street, let's say, with your baby in your hands. And as you're walking across the street, you catch your foot in a pothole and you sprain your ankle. But at the exact same instant, you notice that there are taxi cabs barreling at you like 40 miles an hour. Now, your brain is taking in all this information. So your brain is taking in, obviously, the, the swollen ankle that happened down there or the injured ankle. Your brain is also looking around to see what other danger is happening. Your brain is also hearing what else is happening around you, maybe the traffic noise, smelling certain things. So let's say there's smoke or fire and even taste. So all of those things, your brain, is, it's like a big satellite dish and your brain is taking all this information in. So at that instant, it's gonna decide, okay, if I have pain in my ankle, is that really serving me right now? And is that the biggest danger in my life at this moment? And the answer for that person who's walking across the street with their newborn in their hands, the answer is no. The biggest danger is the traffic coming at them and that you're in the middle of the street and you need to get out of the middle of the street and get on the sidewalk. So your brain at that moment will decide, okay, I'm going to shut off the pain in my ankle or the sensation of pain in my ankle, because the bigger danger here is my overall safety and the safety of my baby to get on the other side of the street. Now, once you safely get to the other side of the street and your brain continues to process, it may then say, okay, I'm, I'm safe, my baby's safe, my entire body's safe, but hey, I've got this little ankle thing going on here. 
let's create some pain there to make you realize that that needs to be taken care of as well. So I love that analogy because it points to something really, really powerful, which is the power of our brain connected to pain. And again, for those of you guys that are just listening, like same exact scenario in one person is debilitated instantly in the other, because something, there was a greater perceived danger. The brain can actually delay the pain message, even though the same exact thing has happened. Now that creates a pretty interesting thing to study, which is if the brain has the capability to delay that kind of pain, that also means that the brain is inherently creating that message of pain. And that's where this book for me got super, super interesting. So that's really what I want to delve into today. Yeah. And and to touch, to maybe give you kind of a one-liner that explains it to people, um, we can just say basically no brain, no pain. So if you didn't have a brain, you basically would never feel pain. And another way to look at that, Elon, is we've spent a lot of time and energy and effort and and marketing, both by big medical institutions and, and pharmaceutical companies, of really looking to the body as the cause of of pain. And with acute pain, that might be true and have some truth to it, but with chronic pain, and for the over 100 million Americans that have chronic pain, it's really important that they realize that they're not damaged, they're not broken, it's just that for some reason there's this response happening in their brain. doesn't mean they're crazy, their pain is 100% real, it's just that for some reason this response has continued. And And... What I took from the book, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, is that there are things that we do, some conscious, some unconscious, that has the brain continuously send us those pain messages for one reason or another, correct? That's correct. And and a lot of them are are subconscious. Exactly. So now it's really important that you say that because we're not saying that your pain isn't real. You know, if your back hurts, your knee hurts, your shoulder hurts, etc. If it's past the norm, we're talking again, past the normal body's healing period. Okay. Now at that point, this is where people tend to dose themselves up with a tremendous amount of drugs to just deal with their day. What I took from the book was that we can actually do some of that subconscious work and start tweaking certain things uh, in our lives to deal with the pain rather than put the bandaid over the pain and just kind of like live and, and survive it, quote unquote. So, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me were this concept of attack thoughts Mm -hmm. and how that drives pain. So I'd love for you to just share that with our listeners. Yeah. On the most simple, simplistic form, your brain has two priorities. Are you safe? Or are you in danger of being attacked by something or, or someone? And oftentimes that danger or that attack are your thoughts. Yeah. And in no greater place do we see this than people with pain. Now, oftentimes, and this is a kind of a big fancy psychological word that, that we use, but it's called pain catastrophizing. It's not a, very, <laughs> not a very pretty word. I don't know who invented it, but we need to invent a new, a new word. But those are the thoughts that when you've had chronic pain for so long, that these thoughts ruminate in your mind over and over again. And they really go like this. So in quotations, I'm always going to have this pain. Mm. This pain is never going to go away. 
this pain is going to be the death of me. Mm. There's no cure for this pain. I have this huge herniated disc in my back. I have this football injury. You know, a lot of them start with I have. And what happens is those negative thoughts lead to more negative thoughts. And we know that when you have negative thoughts like that, that persist and you ruminate about them and you magnify them, mm. that it makes not only the intensity of your pain worse, so what you're feeling actually in the moment, but it also makes that pain last for a longer period of time. So some of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this is, is similar to the biology of belief, but it really goes one layer deeper than that because it really starts to point to, as you have these thoughts or things, and they create biochemical reactions in your body, and oftentimes they make pain persist. Yeah, and that's, I've read this in a ton of different books. You know, when you're reading about anything in personal development or spirituality or anything like that, right, there's a lot of talk about power of thought. We talk about it a lot on this show as well. I, the reason I was so excited to have you on is because, okay, well, now we're talking about these thoughts manifesting physical, real, experienced pain in the body. Mm-hmm. And the same way that, that Guy and I at Story Prime, we coach people out of maybe emotional pain or traumas or you know, different perspectives on life, there is a methodology to do this with physical pain. And that to me is like, this is awesome. Because, you know, if you can train someone to physically remove, like I have, where I had an existing pain, I think I told you about in my knee for a long time. And I read, I was reading this book, I was reading Joe Dispenza's, you are the placebo. And I was just like, holy shit, Elon, like, you know how to do this. And so I did. And within a week, telling you, just like, noticing different thought patterns. Cause I told you it happened specifically when I drive and I love driving. And so every time I would feel the pain while driving, it was like, Oh, this knee is robbing me of this thing that I love. Right. And they would just, and then I would notice it, it would just build and build and build. And so after reading this book, one of the things I took on was, you know, if when I work out and I had a great workout, right? Like, you know, my triceps today are just so sore. <laughs> and I don't talk about it like, oh, this is so bad. I'm like, oh, this, it's like, I say sore. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, I did a great workout. So I kind of altered my thinking pattern that every time I felt anything in my leg or in my knee, I was like, this is the sensation of healing. This is how I'm growing my new knee. This is how I'm strengthening my leg and this and that. And I'm not kidding you guys within a week, the pain went from, you know, if on a scale of like one to 10, say it was like at an eight or nine, it was down to like a one or a two. And now I don't even feel it anymore. And that's, I was like, holy shit, this stuff works. We got to share this with the people. So we know that pain is real because we know, and we know that the brain is creating that pain. We know that the brain is in essence trying to protect us because, right, it doesn't want you to overwork that part while it's being healed. But now we're past that actual healing period and this stuff stays. So let's start talking to them about what are some solutions and what are some things to actually um, do and practice in order to alleviate some of this stuff. Yeah, it's a great place to start. So you already started talking about some of them. And, And in your example, 
what you started doing was you started kind of creating your own curriculum, if you will, for yourself mm-hmm. on how to get your thoughts in, in order around your particular pain experience and how you can basically start to change your pain perception. Yes. So when I start to work with people and I do this one-on-one, I do it in a group as well. One of the first things I start to talk about are the myths around pain. Because if you're holding on to these myths and you believe these myths, you're always going to be in some type of pain because your brain is going to produce this pain as an output. So one of the biggest myths is if I have pain, I should stop moving or mm. I should not do anything that causes pain. And the, this is probably the, the, the worst myth that we have, have told people because oftentimes people go to a physician, various types of physicians, and they'll say, well, what should I do? And the doctor will say, well, just don't do anything that causes pain. <laughs> and the challenge with that is we all have our own pain perception. And it's kind of a, it's a scale, basically. So it, let's say your pain perception is, you mentioned triceps, is you can lift, you can do some overhead tricep presses with five pounds and you have no pain. Let's say... 10 pounds causes you to have pain. So you say, okay, I cannot do 10 pounds. I'm going to stop that. So you go back down to, let's say, seven pounds. If you continually back yourself off from movement and activity, your brain will naturally lower that pain threshold, lower and lower and lower and lower. And this is what happens to people with the worst types of chronic pain is oftentimes they're told this or they're so fearful of moving. Those are, those are called fear avoidance habits that they slowly or rapidly back themselves into a corner where now they really can't do much of anything to just kind of, you know, homebound basically. So what you did was you started kind of flirting with that pain a little bit. You kind of started like brushing up against it basically. And as you do that, you send the signal to your brain that, okay, I can do a little bit more each day and I'm safe, or I can have a little bit of soreness. That's okay. I'm still safe. Now, if you went from that let's say that 10 pound overhead tricep press to 30 pounds, that's a big, huge leap. So probably what you started doing was grading your activity or doing a little bit more each day or a little bit more each week. And it helps repattern that pain response or that pain sensitivity in your nervous system. So the myths are the biggest one. So, you know, that's the first one is that if you have pain, you should continue to move. You just have to do it in a way that you may have a little bit of awareness, let's say, around the pain, but you're not blowing kind of past your pain threshold. And you see this with people with chronic pain. You also see this with athletes. We know many athletes who have pain at various times and they can play a sport, but they really overdo it. They like, oh, I've done too much and I need to back off or I need to, you know, progress it. It's, it's really the basics of a progressive exercise program. Yeah. The next thing I think is really important to talk about, Elon, are imaging studies. So those are things like x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, and they're wonderful studies and they really have their place in acute trauma. But we've created this illusion around imaging studies as being the sole cause of your pain. Yeah. We see this most in spinal conditions, especially herniated discs, but we also now see it in things like shoulder pain, back pain, when we're looking at torn cartilage or torn labrums in the shoulder or torn meniscus in the knee. We know that you gray on the inside, just like you gray on the outside. So just because you have a couple gray hairs or just because you're losing your hair a little bit does not mean that you're elderly, does not mean you're damaged or broken or that you're near death. The same is true of imaging studies in your spine. If I pulled 100 people off the street, most people 
would have some abnormality, whether that's a herniated disc, whether it's a slipped disc, whether it's a bulging disc, most of us have these things. They're normal wear and tear. Now, when you go to a physician and they say, okay, you have back pain, let me send you for an MRI. And you come back two weeks later, the doctor has the MRI in their hand and they hold it up and they're looking at it. And the, the doctor says, yeah, you know, you have a really big herniation right here at L4, L5. What his language does if he's not explaining it properly, and unfortunately, the average physician doesn't have much time to spend with someone and explain pain to them the way we're doing it on the podcast today, is that causes fear. That, okay, now I have this big herniation or this slipped disc in my back, and it causes you to be very cautious. So you stop moving. Fear can actually change your movement patterns. Yeah. Fear can cause you not to move. Fear can cause you to avoid movement. So those are probably the two biggest myths. It's a really great place to start out when we start talking about, okay, how do I start to change some of the beliefs that I've held on to about my pain? And as I let those beliefs go, the illusion about your pain goes away. You educate yourself about what pain is and you dampen that pain response. The diagnosis, but basically what you're saying is the diagnosis that someone gets is almost like their pain sentence, if you will. Like they bought into that hook, line, and sinker, and now they're like, okay, I have this condition, and that's it. That's right. It's funny. I have a friend right now who's struggling with some, he's got some pain and tingling in his uh, thumb and and index finger. So he went to his primary care physician first, who then sent him to an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in the upper extremity, who did an ENG, which is a nerve conduction study of the nerve throughout his entire arm, and it came back negative. So nothing wrong with the nerve in his arm. So then the his current orthopedic surgeon wants to now refer him to an orthopedic surgeon that specializes in the neck because it might be coming from the neck. So I've been, you know, gently kind of coaxing him through this process. So finally I said, I said, his name is Dave. I said, Dave, I said, you're probably, he's probably going to send you for an MRI. It's probably going to show some kind of degeneration. We all have it. Do you want surgery or do you want an injection in your neck? And he said, absolutely not. I want to play. He, play, he plays golf. He chops wood in his backyard. I said, so why don't you, you know, not have the, the imaging study? Because oftentimes it can cause harm or it can cause more fear to happen and start to look at some of the natural ways you can heal it. And he did that and went to see a physical therapist. In the matter of about two weeks, his pain is almost 100% gone. So mm. we have to be very cautious about our, our medical system. And there's a time and a place to get a good diagnosis. But there's really, for most, for 90% of the pain conditions we see, there's nothing underlying or, or severely wrong like cancer or infection. Those are very, very, very extremely rare. Yeah. And then the only other thing I, I add, especially for me and my knee, I think there is similar to the diagnoses, like we label sensations in our body pain. So for example, like a tingling, right? Could just be a tingling. It could be like, oh, my fingers are excited. That's not where our brain goes. Our brain goes, oh, this is abnormal. This must be pain. Or like I was having sensations in my knee that for a long time I was labeling as this is pain. This hurts. And so what do I get more of? I get more pain and more hurt. The second I made the switch to just experience it, oh, this is an interesting sensation and not label it. It allowed it like everything else to just kind of you know, like when you meditate, just the thought just flows through versus I'm hanging on to it. I'm making it really bad and da, 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 and then just like expands, expands, expands. Right. So 
don't don't self-diagnose the sensations in your body and they will just naturally pass also. No, and, and to take that one level deeper, Please. your brain produces pain as that warning, as that danger sign, but it can also produce, as you said, numbness, tingling. Sometimes people feel like there's ants crawling on them. Sometimes people feel sensations that it, the limb feels hot or it feels cold. You can even have swelling happen way, way, way past the healing point of an injury. We see this most in something called RSD or CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome. So there's oftentimes people who fracture an arm and they're in the cast and they're fine, no problems, no pain, no issue. And then they take the cast off and boom, the entire limb swells enormously large. It turns blue, hair starts to grow on it where hair shouldn't be. And this will persist for years at a time. And this is often the worst kind of pain. Wow. the brain can do really, really incredible and oftentimes weird things and oftentimes things that are, are harming or, or you know, cause you to be alarmed. But there are many different responses to that danger signal. So it's just a matter of identifying what they are. And let's not also forget that pain is a sensory experience, but it's also an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And that's really 50% of what you're feeling and how you react to it are your emotions. And it is the emotional response that oftentimes can be the worst part of pain. Yeah, it's uh, the more I've learned about this, a lot of this actually started with meditation, you become acutely aware of your body and the sensations in the body. And where I've kind of come to, to it is that, you know, human beings, we communicate via language or uh, structural language, you know, we'll, we'll do certain things with our hands, our body communicates to us through these sensations, you know, these little pricks and whatever. And we're the ones that define what that language is. And a lot of the times what I've noticed is we've just defined it incorrectly from a very young age. And then we've bought it. And then we're in a culture, right? That tells us if you feel this, go see that person, if this, that. And so it's become very normal. And I mean, obviously like you're talking about a medical and insurance machine that they've built, right? Like they want everyone on pills. They want everyone on this. So it would just make sense that they program all of this stuff into you. Like if you feel this, this is very bad. Go do this, this, and this. It just takes someone like you to kind of come out there and be like, yeah, just slow it down a little bit and and look elsewhere. Um, And that's what I I, I just loved it. So I want to transition because the the next thing that I read that was really, I was like, holy shit. Cause I know this is when we're coaching people, this is one of the first things that we look at. You know, they have a trauma, they have something that they're looking to heal. One of the first things we go to is how can you forgive this? How can you forgive yourself? How can you forgive the situation, the person, et cetera? And that kind of creates an opening that now we can work in. You spoke about forgiveness and pain and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So, So let's talk about that for a bit. Well, I guess to put it simply, pain can make you very angry. Yes, very. And sometimes you're just angry because you have this pain and you can't get rid of it. Other times you're angry at someone or something that may have caused it. So let's talk about this someone or something. So let's say you trusted the surgeon who told you that your cause of your pain is the herniated disc Mm. and you had L4, L5 fused. So you had this big surgery, they fused your you know, two vertebrae together there. And the truth is, after the surgery, your pain didn't go away. 
So you now have, you still have to go through physical therapy because you had the surgery and you still have some swelling there and things aren't moving well, but the pain isn't gone. So you're angry at the practitioner who misdiagnosed you, or you're angry at the practitioner who did a pretty big intervention that cost you lost you know, wages and hours from, from your job and your life, and you still have the pain. Or you might even be angry at that pothole. <laughs> or you might be angry at the pothole. That's right. Or those high heel shoes. Yeah, or those high heel shoes. You know, whatever it is. And I think oftentimes, you know, to take this maybe a couple layers really deep for people, is that oftentimes people have pain for years and decades, and oftentimes it's from early life trauma. So if they were emotionally abused or physically abused or sexually abused, oftentimes those types of circumstances, early life trauma, can cause that, you know, the deepest part of your brain, the amygdala, to stay turned on and wired. So you're angry at your your perpetrator, basically, and you have to kind of work through that. There are so many different reasons and, and causes for why people are angry. Sometimes people are just angry that they have to deal with it. They, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't want this in their life. They, life was going great. They finally have their business going and they're making money and they got the kids and everything is good. And all of a sudden, boom, why do I have this pain now? So anger can be a, a big cause of pain. It can make your pain worse, but it can also be a really awesome way to get rid of your pain really fast. So one of the things that I took from that conversation, which is, I think, super interesting, I think a lot of the times people don't understand that, like I said before, your body communicates with, with sensations, you know, some, some you deem pain, some you, whatever you feel sensation. So it also has a much more heightened awareness than, than we do at a conscious level. It's, it's literally like the first thing to communicate. So subconscious communicates with the body and that's the thing that sends the first signal. What I find to be very fascinating is that our emotional states can manifest even things that aren't injury prone, like can actually manifest pain in the body in certain parts of the body. And there are studies about, you know, what uh, neck pain means versus stomach pain versus leg pain. And it actually ties it always to this emotional thing where it's almost like a guidance system. It's like, oh, you have back pain. It has to do with support. You might be worried about money or supporting your family or things like that. And that to me is always intriguing because whether through an injury or not, it's always interesting how people hurt themselves in very particular ways. And that stays there over and over. And they're like, why do I have this back pain? I'm like, well, tell me about your money situation. And they tell me, and I'm like, well, that's a good place to start, you know? <laughs> and then they handle that situation and the pain naturally goes away. Yeah. That's what I loved about that whole thing that you brought up with forgiveness. Yeah. We talked about fear already. We talked about anger. And the yeah. last one I often talk to people about is guilt. And a lot of times people will tell me, you know, I think it's my chair at work. <laughs> I think it's my car. I need a new car. Or it must be my couch or things like that. And I often tell people, okay, you're getting pain at your job every day? Like, yeah, every day I sit in that chair and I get pain. And I'm like, okay, there's also something else going on when you're at work. You're stressed. Do you like your job? Are you making enough money? Do you like your coworkers? Are you, do you have a big project right now? All those things cause anxiety on, on yeah. some level. And like you said before, when you have these emotions, these thoughts, these feelings, you don't realize it happens in a split second, but it oftentimes reproduces in your body first. Yeah. So then you, you took it from there and then you, you, it's so funny. It's like the same things. And I say this over and over, but the same ways that we've coached people around trauma and emotional pain, you kind of 
took them through this process to get rid of the physical pain, which I just thought was fascinating. You actually recommend and use affirmations. I do. Affirmations can be wonderful. They're, they're a great way to reframe some of those pain catastrophizing thoughts. And, you know, I, I try to be very gentle with affirmations. Like you're not going to write down, um, I'm going to be a football player tomorrow because that's, <laughs> that's not realistic. You want to make your affirmations kind of real and achievable, but ones that can start to reframe some of those negative thoughts so that you start to change that pain response. So what were some, I just don't remember them off the top of my head, but there were definitely some to reframe languaging. And I know I reframe my language and even in the way that I described. So someone would ask me how I was doing this and that inevitably, right? Like when you're in pain, it's something that you share. Like, oh, my knee hurts. Oh, my shoulder hurts. Oh, my back hurts. This and that. It just, it comes up in conversation. And I had to consciously really reprogram that in saying like, I, well, even if I did mention it, so say like I've mentioned it before, someone would ask me, I'm like, oh, my knee is healing itself right now. Mm-hmm. And just really like reprogram that at a, at a language level. Um, you had mentioned some when people are dealing with pain to like remove certain words and, and replace them with others. Can you just give people a little bit of uh, information on that? I can. I think, you know, when people say things like, I'm always going to have this pain. Yeah. You want to change that with, I'm taking the steps or I'm learning about pain mm-hmm. and taking the steps to reverse it naturally. Um, let's see what else do people talk about. This pain is going to be the death of me. And you say, well, even though I had, even though I had this pain, I was still able to go to work today. Mm. Or even though I have this pain, I was still able to do a basic yoga class today. So it's really fine. It's really looking at your life and really finding the places that even though you had pain, you were still able to do something, even, the, even if that's on the smallest little level. I don't care if you have fibromyalgia and you've had it for 20 years. And the one thing you did today was you got up out of the bed and you were able to clean your house. That can be significant for people. So we're talking about people who have chronic pain. Some of them are, you know, have real pain that, that can be devastating for, their, for their, their, their body and their lifestyle. So finding the little places where you can start to think in those terms. And that's oftentimes where you start to figure out, okay, as I start to move, I'm increasing my own, it's a big word, self-efficacy, but I'm increasing my own ability to handle some of the things in my life to handle the pain, to learn what it takes to, you know, solve the pain, basically. With the, the hernia disc is a big one in the back. I tell people that, look, a hernia, a disc and your lumbar spine is one of the strongest parts of your body, that you have an incredible strong structure in your body that can withstand a tremendous amount of force. And when you start to think about it like that and think about everything you've been through in your life, both the good and the bad, the sports you played that never caused you to have an injury, as well as maybe some of the actions. You look at all those things, chances are you're still doing relatively okay and you start to have to kind of reframe some of the structural things that you think about your body. All of of us know people who are in their 90s or 80s who have never had a joint placed, but they're doing just fine. Most of those people have really good self-efficacy or really positive thoughts in their head about what their body is capable of doing and what they can withstand. I think they're just super grateful. You know, it's interesting, like you don't think about the body part until you feel a pain in that body part. Like no one goes around thinking about their head until they have a headache or their finger until their finger hurts. Like you just don't. And so I think even in those moments, what you're alluding to is 
being grateful for this amazing machine that lets us move around, breathe and witness what we're witnessing and experience what we're experiencing. It's very natural for the brain to always focus on what isn't working. And that's just the the natural flow of it, right? Because it's always in this protect you, save you, et cetera mode. And the, the conscious part of you can be grateful for all the other stuff that works and is amazing and allows you to do X, Y, and Z. And that I think actually has an effect on your cellular level. I mean, for me, and I don't know if, if you can say anything to this, I've actually begun to go to bed at night. And if I have, so I, uh, I injured my shoulder. I, I had like a weird freak skiing accident. First time in 25 years I ever got injured on skis. Um, and I actually like separated this, this thing here, like that, that, uh, bone and I would just go to bed and I would literally talk to my cells Mm -hmm. and I'd be like, Hey, I know this happened and I'm requesting that you go over there and you heal it and restore me back to my full health. And I have like full conversations with my cellular level body and I have to tell you, it's, I don't know if this is like voodoo or what, it works and it works incredibly fast. Yeah. One of the things that can be maladaptive, it's adaptive with acute pain because it's really more of a survival instinct, but it's really maladaptive with chronic pain is that you can disassociate from parts of your body instantly. Mm. That's a fancy word for basically saying, I, I don't feel a certain part of my body. Mm. Now, if you're in a trauma, like a car accident, that's awesome because you don't feel pain. And people who have been in traumas will tell you that, yeah, I was hit by a car or you know, I fell and I really didn't have any pain at that moment. I had pain wow. a couple hours or, or days later. With chronic pain that happens and people, you know, they try to ignore the pain. They do this sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. And one of the things I have people do, and that's what you're doing at night, is I have them just go through a body scan where they scan their body from head to toe and they start to become aware of the different sensations they're feeling in their body. Sometimes people get to a certain part of their body and they're like, wow, I had no idea that that part of my body was buzzing or was tingling. And then other times people get to a part of the body and they say, I can't feel this part of my body. I can't locate this part of my body with my eyes closed. Mm. I can't tell where my foot is or where my, or where my knee is or where the left side of my back is. So oftentimes they've disassociated from that. So just going through, it's a meditative body scan. You start to reintegrate that appearance or the image of your body in your brain and you start to reorganize the structure of certain parts of your brain. And oftentimes it takes your pain away. The other interesting thing is sometimes people get to a part of their body that's painful. And they'll say, I, I just want to go right past this part because it's painful and I don't want to deal with it. Oftentimes, when you pause and you take notice and you become present and sometimes even a little bit compassionate with yourself, that when you focus on that pain, oftentimes it'll start to disappear yeah. or it'll start to lessen. And sometimes that can happen within one session. And I've done this with people and they're like, I had no idea that just bringing my awareness, being mindful about whether I feel my body or not feel my body, that I can actually change how my pain is. So, so two things I want to mention. One is we actually do a meditation practice with, with our clients where our whole methodology is about having people get really comfortable with being fearful. Uh, in other words, using fear as their guide to their next growth opportunity, et cetera. 
And so fear is very real and it responds very real in the body. And for different people, it just, it always shows up in the same place, just differently for different people. So mine is like, kind of like my stomach sings. Other people feel like someone's really pressing on their chest or choking them. Other people get like really, really sweaty and tingly and all that stuff. So what we have them do is, is visually think of something that scares the shit out of them right now. Like put themselves in that place to really feel that feeling. And then they meditate. And for five to seven minutes, it's, it's rarely taken more than seven minutes, is just breathe. And instead of defining that sensation, right? Because what we do is we feel that feeling in the stomach and then everything fires like, oh my God, I'm terrified right now, blah, blah, blah. And instead, it's just like breathe and notice the sensation. Don't label it. Don't, just notice that there is a sensation and keep breathing. And generally within three to seven minutes, that sensation does what every sensation does naturally and it disappears. Yeah. Um, and people are floored when this happens. The coolest part of it though is that, and it's kind of what we've been talking about, not only does the sensation go away, but a lot of the thoughts and emotional issues that um, are keeping that sensation in place or the body's trying to communicate like, hey, yo, check, take, take a look at this. With the sensation in the body, all of that other stuff goes. And so you get left in this place of just peace and quiet. And they're like, so anyone that that's, has trauma or fearful or something like that, it's something that we share with them. So that's one. And then the second thing I wanted to ask you about, it's like, do you have kids? I do not have kids, no. Okay. So I have a four-year-old and a five-and-a-half-year-old and obviously a very, very large growth <laughs> growth <laughs> learning opportunity and everything. If you were trying to interact with a four- or five-year-old and they were trying to get your attention and the method that you did to, to deal with them is to ignore them, like you don't exist right now, like I'm not paying attention to you. I don't know about other people, but that doesn't really work that great with a five-year-old. Like they will figure out a way to get your attention and that might be to pull on you, yell at you, whatever, or eventually they'll go break something in your house to get your, somehow they're getting your attention. And so when you mention this stuff about the body and people are like, I'm going to ignore that part. Well, guess what you're doing? It's the same thing like interacting with a child. It will just get louder. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to be avoided to the point you're like, oh no, I don't, you know, that part doesn't exist. So yeah, I just like to offer that to people, you know, interact with it as if you would, it's like a five-year-old trying to communicate with you. It just doesn't have great language. Yeah, it's true. When I work with, with some patients, oftentimes an interesting thought is, or fact is their pain will actually go away, but some other bodily sensation will come up. Mm. Like anxiety is, is usually a big one. Like they no longer have pain, but all of a sudden they have anxiety. And I've actually had people tell me, can you bring the pain back? Because I knew how to deal with the pain. <laughs> I didn't know how to deal with this anxiety. All of a sudden, I now have anxiety. Well, and you know, the brain is basically saying, okay, we still need to work through some things. We still need to repattern this. We still need to get this out of the nervous system. Sometimes it's the stomach issue. Sometimes it's that tension and tightness. It's, it's, mm. the, it, the brain does so many interesting, fascinating things that we're still just starting to learn about. But it, it's eye-opening for people. The other thing is that we also have this myth that we're supposed to lead this kind of anesthetized life. Yes. That you're never, ever supposed to have pain. That pain is always a bad thing. And the truth is, pain is actually a very primitive response, but it's probably the most highly adaptive response that the human body has created over the course of, of eons. And you want it, you just want to be able 
to know what it means in your particular life. Yeah. I always say to people like, you're going to have to get the message at some point. At first, you know, it might be like a little kitten, like at some point when you don't get it, it's like a lion mauling you and trying to kill you. So better to receive the messages when they're tiny and work through that, you know, anxiety or whatever the process is that you need to work through. Then eventually, you know, cancer or something really big. And at that point, like you have to put the brakes on and just become aware. So always better to see it first. I want to end with this because I know we're running out of time here. Um, You kind of ended the book with a very interesting thought about how most people don't have a goal for their healing. I think the, the way you put it, having a goal or a purpose for your healing. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'd love for you to to share a little bit about that as well. When people have pain, the first thing they want or the only thing they focus on is they want the pain to go away. Yes. And that's reasonable and it's obviously understandable. But if that's your only goal and that's the only thing you focus on, chances are that's not going to happen because the more you focus on pain, the more you're going to have it. So instead, look at your life and say, since I've had pain, what have I stopped doing? Or what have I not been able to do? Or what do I not do as much of or as? And try to make some of those goals. So let's say, well, I no longer run anymore. anymore, And say, well, okay, why don't you start just for the quarter of a mile? So make that a goal first. And then increase your miles. If pain has increased or, or impacted your social relationships, your relationships with people, which oftentimes it does. Pain is, is a, a big reason why people kind of lock themselves indoors start to engage in different ways. You may not feel comfortable going to a big busy mall, but maybe you can find that quiet restaurant first and start to re-engage with people on a social level. Social involvement is really important for people with pain. So there are definitely reasons why you have pain. And the last thing I would say to that is really on kind of the emotional, spiritual level. We're now starting to talk about pain as far as like biopsychosocial. So the bio is what's happening in the body. The psychosocial is some of the things that we spoke about today. The last that I've, I've, I've yet to really talk about, and maybe it'll be in my next book, is really on the spiritual level. There's spiritual pain. So what on a really big, deeper level is happening in your life or is lacking? And pain is taking that position over maybe the, the purpose or passion that you're not going for or you're not going for as hard as you really want to or as hard as you know you can. So those are, there are many things that oftentimes this comes up as you work with people. You know, we start out, let's say, with the herniated disc, but then we wind up on, I never really wanted to be an accountant. I wanted to be an actor. And people, once they find an outlet for that, things change drastically and, and really dramatically. There's a story that you mentioned about a woman who was, um, I believe, uh, a double-leg amputee and refused to, to do her physical therapy. And then uh, you came in and you really started to dig into the why. Um, and you created something pretty amazing with her. And that really had her move forward. I, I would love for you to share that story. I just thought it was so beautiful. So when I, the first year I was a physical therapist, I worked in a, a small hospital here in New York City. And I worked in the adult rehab floor. And there was a girl, her, her we'll leave her name out, but she unfortunately was walking down the street and a taxi driver um, pinned her between the steps of a brownstone and, and the car. And she was a above knee amputation on one side and a below the knee amputation on the other side. She was a young, beautiful, beautiful woman in, in her mid-20s. And 
she was in adult rehab and we're teaching her how to use prosthetic limbs and how to walk with prosthetic limbs. And she was in the anger phase. She was angry every single day. And it was obviously completely understandable because she was about to get married a couple of weeks later. And this whole tragedy and this whole incident obviously derailed her marriage and derailed the, the ceremony. So after a couple of weeks, she basically was like, I don't want to do this. I'm not doing anything. She stopped eating. She didn't go to physical therapy. She wouldn't talk to the psychologist. I mean, nothing. So, you know, we obviously have to give people their time. Sometimes it's okay to have a couple of days to, to sit and, and, you know, be with your thoughts. But she was right about my age. I was 26 at the time and she was about 26 as well. So one day I passed her room and I saw her sitting there and she was watching television. And I said, let me just go in and see if I can make a connection with this person. And we saw her talking and I said, you know, if you had legs, what would, if you had, could have your legs back, what would be the one thing you'd want to do? And she said, I just wanted to dance with my dad at my wedding. Hmm. And to this day, it kind of, you know, tears me up a little bit. And I said, okay, well, let, let's make that your goal. So forget about walking. Cause you know, in, in, in a hospital, the social workers and the other people want to know, okay, did she walk 10 feet today? And did she walk 20 feet? And did she walk 50 feet? So we're checking off all the boxes. So eventually when she gets to about 100 feet, she's safe, she can go home. And we're moving people through the system, basically. And I'm like, this person doesn't care about walking. She actually, she actually at, at this point in her life, she was fine to be in a wheelchair, but she just wanted to get up and dance with her dad at her wedding. So, you know, it, it, takes, people, it takes you back to how do you motivate people with pain? Because when you have pain, it's really easy to say, I don't want to do anything. I'm done. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be moved. I don't want to talk about the pain. I don't want to have an exercise. So you have to find that deeper meaning. And when you find that deeper meaning, life takes a different path. Yeah, it was so beautiful. And it just, it rings so true. Unless you have a big enough why that, you know, the bigger the why, the easier the how. Um, and I just thought that story was, was magnificent in doing that. I really hope for our listeners that this was a completely different spin on pain, how to interact with pain, and also some of the things that you can do around pain. Uh, like I said, in uh, Heal Your Pain Now, which is uh, Dr. Joe Tata's book, a lot of the beginning is, is really about nutrition and what you can do at a, at a bio level to prep your body to heal itself because there's a lot of foods that you put in there uh, that cause inflammation and, and actually cause this chronic pain to stay. We didn't touch up on any of that because I really wanted to use our time to go into this brain stuff. So Dr. Joe, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for putting this kind of work out there and uh, hopefully saving millions of people's lives and having them be able to dance at their weddings and, and do the things that matter most to them. So uh, for those of the listeners that, that either want to pick up your book or, or find out more about your courses and things like that, uh, where can we direct them? Yeah, the best place to go is my website at drjoetata.com. So that's D-R-J-O-E-T-A-T-T-A.com. You can find my book there. You can find my online program there. There's lots of great free resources if you just want to read up on more of my work. And um, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, Elon. It's been great chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great one. So that's it, my friends. That's today's episode. I just want to thank you for being part of our Have It All family and truly, truly thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you'd like to help or give back in any way possible, the best way would be to share this or any other episode that you loved with your family, friends, or colleagues. And if you'd be so great as to just leave us a rating and a comment on either iTunes or Stitcher, whichever you use, that helps us tremendously. It only takes about two to three minutes of your time and would mean the world to us. Finally, I want to let you know that if you want to get even more exclusive content from Guy and I, just head over to satoriprime.com and make sure you join our mailing list. Now, I know what you might be thinking, God, not another mailing list, but I promise you, you'll only get an email or two from us per week and it will always have amazing videos and articles that I'm sure you're going to love, promise. So until next time, you can join our ongoing conversation at the Have It All Facebook group where you can let us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. Love you all, and we'll see you on the next Have It All podcast. Have an amazing, amazing day, my friends. Bye.